One sec, I'll be right back, guys. How do I get to the Goodreads group? I don't even remember. Here, I'll post the link in the uh, Google Hangout. Post your link in the Google Hangout. Whoa, Renee. Not on the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the air that can totally be edited. <laughs> don't edit this, Sandra. <laughs> Leave it there, Zimzam. This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two amazing people, Renee Rodriguez Ayo. and Nick White. Hey, less enthusiasm than the AO, but like I can't force it, so <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. You know, I'm super excited that you're both here, but before we start the show, I want to remind everyone that our Kickstarter is still running. We've got some amazing stretch goals that we're trying to reach because we just got funded. So if you want to hear some how we make the show episodes, some drunk on comic episodes, if you want to get free pins, we've got pins coming, people. Go to ircvpodcast.com slash ks2017 and back it. Get a t-shirt, get a sticker, get something. Anyone who backs a physical reward, and we hit that, I think, $800 or $900 mark. Everyone who's backing a physical reward will get a pin. It's going to be super duper cool. So go do that right now because we're going to go to Emerald City Comic Con, and it's going to be amazing. So I want you guys to get as much stuff from us so that we can give you more content. It's going to be it's a whole thing. But anyways... Onto the show. This week we're here to talk about comic books as per usual. So let me ask the question that I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Nick. Uh, I've been good. I've been busy. Um, uh, thankfully, the weather around here in Michigan has given me ample opportunities to stay indoors. I'm sure Renee can back this, but we had practically about three days last week of just utter nonstop rain. <laughs> Forever. I think we're starting to hit that here in New York. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you guys have got what we had. But um, it gave me plenty of opportunities to get some reading done. Uh, and then I've also been busy. Uh, let me see. Yesterday, it was like Halloween Comics Day, which I guess public service announcement. If you didn't know that was a thing, uh, you get to wait 364 days. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good news. It's right around the corner. Um uh, so yeah, next year, when you're not making mistakes, go to your local comic book store and they will probably have some free issues for you. So I got uh, a Hellboy in the BPRD 1953, um, first nice. issue of Baby Teeth, um, first issue of the second season of Sabrina, which I think is technically seven, I don't know, like seven. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, which uh, was interesting, some interesting picks, a few things I kind of already had, but when you're a comic book reader, you've already become very comfortable with the idea of hoarding things you may or may not need, or you already have seven of, so um, no sweat <laughs> off my back. Uh, <laughs> one weird tendency, though, I've seen this a lot, I saw it with my copy of Black Eye Kids, I think, from last year's Halloween thing, what is it with them publishing books in black and white that, like, otherwise don't have a black and white edition is it just because it's cheaper or is it because it's supposed to be sp spooky i i don't know i think it's um, both i think they're trying to like <laughs> hit two birds with one stone yeah spend you know, less it, and honestly, give the, yeah. honestly <laughs> i mean exactly. all my I mean, favorite stories are in black and white it's yeah, not the, in the color Dead is the scariest book out there no yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. it will never die um, so I, look at, I mean, you think about it, Night of the Living Dead, it's all in black and white. You know, mm -hmm. some of the great classic horror movies of our time are in black and white. So maybe that's the idea. I mean, yeah, all I the great mangas are in black and white. 
Just saying. Yeah. And they're all yeah. spooky, right, Renee? I mean, no, but if you want to spooky... Sometimes they're spooky for reasons you don't quite understand. <laughs> that is the truest statement I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, so what so have you been was, reading, Nick? <laughs> that was a good experience. Um, sort of in the Halloween vein, I read... Um, Batman Aliens, which was published in 1997, uh, featured Ron Mars on writing, who has sort of a veteran writer, been around forever, um, right up right up there with Dan Slott in terms of um, antagonizing um, um, people on Twitter, uh, the people who deserve it, I should be clear about that, and a few who don't, maybe, mm-hmm. um, and Bernie, the late, great Bernie Wrightson on art, for those unaware, Bernie co-created uh, Swamp Thing with Len Wein. Um, both of them died earlier this year within like three months of each other. Really, really weird. Um, but that happened, so there's a little morbid trivia for you. Um, really, really good book. Normally, obviously, when you read something that's like 20 years old, you, you try to gauge your expectations for what the art's going to look like. Um, because for better or for worse, or, you know, how good or how bad the artist is, sometimes it's just unavoidable that, you know, production techniques will take control and just make things not look great. Um, but this was fantastic. I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that someone that spent a large amount of their career drawing Swamp Thing would have a pretty good command over drawing foliage and, and landscapes, but a uh, surprise. Um, and he also has a really good uh, command over drawing xenomorphs. So um, pretty enjoyable very sort of like flimsy what if premise uh bruce wayne hires a geologist uh who works for wayne tech to go and investigate some like mine or something that's supposed to be rich in minerals blah 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 blah. guy goes missing and batman takes it upon himself to go find the guy um and of course when he does he runs into a group of like mercenaries that are part of some black ops organization that they won't say what they're doing they won't say why they're there but of course they're going in the same direction batman is so uh you know it's the usual it's the usual bunch you know the single woman who's trying to prove that she can be one of the guys the the bible thumper guy who's you know quoting verses left and right you know as the alien chops off his head um, you know, you got the squirrely, weaselly tech dude who hides all the time and, you know, meets his, uh, you know, end. And then, of course, there's the sudden but inevitable betrayal. So, like I said, it's got all of the, you know, um, uh, required, you know, you can check off all the boxes on your aliens checklist. But a uh, really enjoyable sort of dumb fun uh, for the record, there's about an eight-page sequence of Batman wrestling an alligator or a crocodile, um, whichever one is in South America. If if both are there, I, I I don't fucking know. Let's just say it was a crocodile, okay? Um, sure. Uh, but it's great. It's a great sequence, and the 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 mercenary guys want to kill it, and, and and Batman's like, "Don't kill this. I work for the World Wildlife Fund." He doesn't say that, um, but that would have been around <laughs> at the time because you know they shared their name with the WWF before that became a lawsuit. And yeah. Uh, yeah. and he says, you know, you it's it's just doing what's in its nature, which of course is just a natural precursor to you know the whole alien premise of you know they're just doing it's what they're foreshadowing nick yeah yeah you know they're they're gonna do what they are gonna do and it's the humans that are the real baddies so enjoyable a lot of fun um what else well, let's go over a few more things here i read mr miracle number two i realized number three is out 
but I didn't have my books for three weeks, so I read number two. Um, I actually like number two better than number one. Um, That's okay. Uh, okay, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what other people were thinking about it, but I, I thought two was better. Um, I realized it's a little less new reader friendly. There are a couple deep cuts, a couple character reappearances from Kirby's Run, a couple Easter eggs and references back to Kirby's Run. Um, but I like that this book continues to keep saying to the reader, like, who who are you trusting? Like, who do you put your trust in? Who do you think is telling you the truth in this story? Um, because certainly issue number two tries to upend everything you know um, and, and yeah. who you should trust. Um, but for me, like, I took that and I took it one step further and said, even if you take this paradigm and you flip it on its head and you say everything you knew was wrong, I still believe on some level, what if this entire construct, flipped or not, is still all being made up by Scott Free? So uh, I think that's a really interesting oh part about the book. Yeah. I worry it's going to get progressively less reader friendly, new reader friendly, but who knows? I guess I've got number three sitting around. So, so if you guys want to wait right now, I'll go get it. Um, I can read it over the <laughs> no, air if okay. that's fine. Okay. All right. I, I, look, I'm no, all about I, so options. I'm all about options. I'm totally a new reader in this regard, right? Yeah. I know nothing about Mr. Miracle, and yeah. I don't feel like I'm being put off because just like I feel like a lot of other King, of King's work and a lot of other books that have these big like character-focused, character-study type stories, yeah. you can't really expect, whether or not you know the character, that everything is as you expect it to be in another type of comic book. Like, for instance, I mean, to, to harken back to the one that started this whole shebang in the current generation, if you think about Hawkeye as a book, mm -hmm. reading that book, no matter how much you knew about Hawkeye, you could not have... You could not have sat around and said, this is new reader, friendly, new reader friendly or not, because regardless, it was such a focal or focused, tiny story that it doesn't matter who you are, whether you know Hawkeye or not, you can jump in. And I feel like Mr. Miracle is the same way if you if you roll with the idea that this is just some weird sci-fi thing. If you didn't know Mr. Miracle was a character, then this book totally works as a new book. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'd agree with that. It's, uh, I was just going to say, honestly, I don't know anything about Mr. Miracle. I thought he was a robot until like a couple months ago. Same, same. <laughs> That's fair. That's because he kind of, yeah, he definitely does not have a real, you know, definitively humanoid appearance, I guess you could say. Yeah, um, like I knew who so. he was. Like I knew that, that he existed, but I thought he was just like the DC's version of Vision. Well, what doesn't help is he oh, also man. kind of looks like Red Tornado, which is sort of DC's version of Vision. At least that's the closest yeah. counterpart I can yeah. come up with. So I can totally see where things get a little bit muddy. Um, beyond that, let's see. I read Green Arrow 29. This continues to be that whole Green Arrow teaming up with different DC characters. Um, ben Percy writing, Juan Ferreira on art. This issue, he teams up with Batman, which Juan Ferreira does not get to draw Batman enough, honest to God. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful issue. Um, you sort of have a butting of heads between um, Green Arrow uh, and his real bleeding heart and, and Batman being a little bit more reasoned in his approach. Uh, and I like that this book continues to wear its heart on its sleeve. It's not afraid to be political. It's not afraid to be topical. Um, as the phrase goes, it's it's not afraid to speak truth to power. And what I love about this book is that for all the people out there that are saying, oh, Green Arrow, look, it's gone the way of Marvel books, and it's it's trying to be really topical and controversial, and, and it, you are know, I just want... This? 
Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. People are people think Green Arrow's gone this way. Absolutely. Um, okay. It's like if I mean, you, I, <laughs> I'm not the person that would even know. I don't know why I asked that question. Sure. As sure. if I would know one way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, get 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 on the inside track of like Green Arrow message board discussions, and then and then you'll be there. <laughs> um, it's a real niche group of shitheads. Um, I'm I'm kidding. You're all wonderful people. Probably not all of you. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. The 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 the, f- the funny thing is that Green Arrow's always been like this. Like that's the funniest part about it. Like Green Arrow has always wanted to talk about controversial issues from crony capitalism to drug addiction. The list goes on. It's always been about these sorts of things. And so for anyone to say this book is getting is inching closer and closer to that, uh, good. That's what it's always been. So. Yeah, DC can only have one Batman. Yeah, DC can only rock the boat with one book, okay? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, there can only be one wealthy, um, you know, straight white male in the DC universe, although technically Nero had his bank accounts emptied, so he's always having his bank accounts emptied. He's basically the Scrooge Anyways, anyways. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We're Um, falling down the rabbit hole, Nick. Sorry, (laughs) Nero gets me all excited. Um, Don't you mean the falling down the quiver? Oh, get I, out, Renee! Uh, thank you for being on this R- podcast. What's... We'll catch you next time. Yeah, Renee, like <laughs> it's a pun, and you use arrow terminology, but I don't. It, no, 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 nope. Uh, one Whatever. Last thing. Someone will appreciate it. Some, yeah, maybe those guys on the message boards will. I think they'll probably enjoy it. Um, one last thing, Nick. Did you read anything new? Yes, I did read Bloodshot Salvation Number Two. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, do I have a lot of thoughts about this book, but I'll really just boil it down to this. Um, we have figured out now that Jesse is capable of inheriting the bloodshot powers from Ray without him dying. Oh, snap. So the idea that in the future he's still alive, it's possible. But what's interesting is that um, uh, Magic and Jesse get rescued. Um, from their attack by Rapture, which we all sort of, not Rapture, Rampage, we figured was going to happen. Uh, and it's the other mm-hmm. bloodshots, the World War II one, the Vietnam one, uh, the Russian Cold War one. Uh, and she's like, well, who sent you? And they're like, Ray did. And she's like, he's dead. And they're like, yeah, we know. So, mystery afoot. <laughs> mystery afoot. Um, Ray's off in the present day to go deal with Magic's evil, terrible dad who runs a cult in Ohio. So, um, again, oh, yeah. just for those sure. keeping score, Bloodshot lives in Michigan, so that's great. And the bad, evil people live in Ohio. So, um, for for college football fans, these are not foreign ideas. Anyone who lives around this area like already believes this. So, Jeff Lemire is getting in on it, boys and girls. Um, yeah. But, but that's what I've read, so... <laughs> cool. Renee, what have you been reading lately, man? Um, I figured oh, you'd gosh. like that Ohio reference, Renee. I really did. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me collect my Big college here. football people here. Yeah. Uh, Nick and Renee, Mike not especially. Me. Not like, me. sorry. Like, there's, like, me, and then there's Renee, and then if you go, like, 87 stories up into the air, like, that's where Mike is in terms of, like, college football fandom. He's yeah, miles yeah. ahead. Yeah, I remember one time I asked Mike and Brian about, like, I was like, did you guys see the game? And they both looked at me, and then Brian just went, yeah. 
Sports. <laughs> it was yeah, Renee. So the, it was you it say was that it's like you're just like. Did you see that ludicrous display last night? <laughs> like that's exactly like what you said to us, but it was about American football. Yeah, yeah but still, like every single time I try to bring up sports, you guys just give me this doe-eyed, just like, yeah. Okay. We're the wrong group, man. Sorry. I'm sorry. I wish I had this love for college sports just, that just, you do. Just, you know, public it's okay. PSA. It's okay to be a geek or a nerd and be into sports. And, and pro tip. It's totally if true. If you are a geek or a nerd and you're not into sports and you want to try to relate with people on a superficial level, it's sports. Start learning. <laughs> if you want to learn how to interact with other people, this is how you do it. This actually leads directly into what I read this week, actually. I'm so excited. I, I, I knew, knew that. this is what you're going to do. I'm so happy. <laughs> so, what I read this week, Robot X Laser Beam, which, if you don't know, is a manga about golf. It's a sport. I'm so excited <laughs> to read this manga. What ever-loving fuck? <laughs> I was about to say, R- Renee, none of those things are sports. Go on. I know. Go technically, on. technically, I hate golf. I don't think golf is a sport. It's more of like a skill. You're playing Mario Golf. I love golf. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not getting into this with you. <laughs> Focusing on the comics. Yes. What is what is Robot X Laser Beam? How was the most recent chapter that you read? Okay. So the most recent chapter, actually chapters, really ballsy because robot x laser beam like i said is a sports manga about golf it's absolutely ridiculous and it's wonderful and i love it but um chapter they're at chapter 31 this week is what came out but at the end of chapter 30 like they just did like a first like full match or whatever in the series and you're just kind of like seeing okay this is what it's going to be like i get it i'm getting into the rhythm i'm going to get sit down and get ready for like four more arcs of this but no the writer, Tadatoshi Fujimaki, who is a ballsy, ballsy man, he just goes, yeah, we're not going to do any of that high school stuff. Three years later, we're doing a time skip at chapter 30. Oh, snap. That's a ballsy move. For anyone that doesn't know about manga, you don't do time skips until you're at least like in the 200s. Ma- manga don't skip high school. That's an essential, like, living, breathing part of, like, manga, right? Isn't that, like, how... I mean, it's like, so, a, it's like, like a staple. It depends on the series, but I mean, yeah, slice of life is pretty important. But still, a time skip is huge. You don't do a time skip until you're like in your 200s or 300s. To do one at chapter 30 is a ballsy, ballsy move. And I was really worried about it and what it was going to do. And chapter 31, really basically nothing happened, but it was absolutely hilarious. And I couldn't even begin to explain it because there's too many things that you need to know. But I... (laughs) I laughed so hard that everyone in my house was just like, what is wrong with you? Are you on <laughs> drugs? And I was just like, I'm sorry. It was just, it's so funny. But Robot X Laser Beam, absolutely fantastic. So good. And I just, I really enjoyed it. I'm never going to tell you guys all the manga that I read because then we'd just be here for forever. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's fine. So I just, I just, I thought you were going to like, I thought you were getting at like, there were certain ones that like, no one should know that you've actually consumed but um okay oh i mean like there's definitely ones that i uh am uncomfortable that have been uncomfortable reading and telling people about yeah but like i've never i've never like when someone's like have you read this i'm never ashamed to be like oh no i've never read that right what's that i've no i'm saying i've, I've never it's, it's okay 
Get to, get to the next thing. Get to the next thing. We are. This is this opening sequence is taking so much time, you guys. It's Nick's <laughs> fault. Yeah, uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna defer, defer that. No, I'll take that. <laughs> Anyways, One Piece was great this week. One this chap the latest chapter of One Piece just goes to prove why One Piece has been the king of shonen manga for over a decade because it's always consistently amazing, and this was just another reason why. If you don't read One Piece. I just got to say, you're missing out, but at the same time, I can't tell you to just go and read it all because it's huge. Because right. We're, 883 chapters are out now, you said? Yeah, we're almost at 900 chapters. So, I mean, to tell someone to go read One Piece, that's a very daunting task. It's like saying right. read everything of Batman. Everything. Everything, But yeah. the thing is, One Piece is it's super good. It's super amazing. Um, I... If you're reading One Piece or if you have read it before and you stopped, get back into it because it only gets better. It's so good. And the last thing I read this week, because we were reading Long Halloween and it was Halloween, I just had to reread Bedlam Volume 1, which is written by Nick Spencer with uh, fantastic art by Riley Rosmo and the outstanding colors by Jean-Paul Suka, I believe is his name. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I love this book. And uh, especially because there's controversy right now about um, the Batman White Knight book, which shows, you know, like a rehabilitated Joker, like sort of take like mm-hmm. helping Gotham mm-hmm. out while Batman's insane. Yeah. Bedlam, and I know Mike knows this, I don't know if Dick knows this, but Bedlam is about a oh, supervillain yeah. called Matter Red, who is essentially like the Joker, who gets rehabilitated and then put back out into the world. But since murder is all he knows, he decides to help the cops. Yeah. The only thing is, and of no course, there's knows, the yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No one knows that he's this villain that he's mad or red, and it's so fantastic. It's so fantastically creepy. Like it rubs me the wrong way in all the right ways, and I'm it's just, rubbing the lotion <laughs> on the skin. Let me tell you. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. so fantastic. I absolutely love rereading it over and over again, and I wish more people knew about this book. Especially since, uh, I, I mean, it's, it hasn't had a volume three, and I don't yeah. know if we'll ever get one. So everyone pick it up and, you know, just, you know, politely mm-hmm. beg Nick Spencer to write volume three. Don't read that book in public uh, either. The- Do not read that book in public. Yeah, oh, yeah. God, no. The imagery is, oh, my goodness. I think I think you forgot to mention one of the big details over in A, which is uh, he doesn't even know that he's mad or red, right? And things, except no, things knows. start to crack. Not completely. In his, not... Right. Isn't it like bits? Is He's starting to remember it, right? Things sort of form cracks. No, he's, just, he's, he... he's sort of flashing back to it because he's okay. fully aware. He's fully aware. Really? Like, there's a scene where he's, yeah, he's fully aware okay. that he because he was like, no, I did bad things. He's like, and I don't want to do them anymore. And he even like sometimes even like there's a hot second in volume one where he's talking to a detective and she's commenting about something and he says, I am not well, which is something that he said as the villain. Matter and red, he says yeah. it in the same. He says it in the same voice, and the detective who was in the room at that time was like, "What did you just say?" And he's like, "Oh, <laughs> I just, just, I did bad things." But no, he's fully aware of okay. that he was because at the end of volume one, he also does a big reveal that he's clearly aware because you're sort of not sure in oh, most okay. of it in the first volume, but at the end, he's, yeah. he's like, "No, I." I totally know that it's me, but I know that yeah. what I did was wrong. I'm trying to do good, but all I know is murder. So, yeah. <laughs> Bedlam, Bedlam is 
Bedlam is insane, and I remember there was some controversy around it, if only because I remember, like, Rosmo didn't want to continue to do the work because it was really messed up, and I think... Ryan Brown uh, took Nick, over. Or, yeah, Ryan Brown came in and took over for Volume 2, and then even even after that, it was kind of like Nick Spencer kind of blew up and did other stuff um, on top of now him being, you know, the, the bad boy over at Marvel that no one likes, I guess. I was going to say, if he, wants the, really if he wants the court controversy, go do it over at Image, where at least they'll give you a big, you know, paycheck along with... You know, all of the crazy yeah. headlines on Bleeding Cool, so. Right. Um, well, for me, this past week, um, I read a couple things. I didn't read a lot. Uh, i just been kind of feeling off reading comics for some reason, but I did sit down and read a few things. I read the Batman Elmer Fudd special that came out a while ago. I picked that up in the crazy DC crossover sale that they did, and I was like, why the hell not? I heard so many good things about it, and this book was absolutely stupid and amazing at the same time. Um, as someone who watched a lot of Looney Tunes as a kid, it's perfect. And I think Tom King totally nailed his super gritty Batman storytelling with and paired it with a very over-the-top concept without making it overtly over-the-top. Um, that's all I'll really say about it. Tom King, Brian Vaughns, and Lee Weeks on arts, because there was also a backup story in the end that was very classic Looney Tunes, which I appreciated as well. Um, I also read Sacrifice. This was a Comixology submit book that I picked up. I saw the cover and fell in love with it. It's this beautifully drawn skull on the cover. Uh, I think it's like a 99-cent book. It's only 19 pages. Um, this is by Ken Lowry and Kevin Warren. The overall TLDR of this is don't be a tourist in a sacred land. Don't don't take Oof. what some people consider sacred and use it as your entertainment. Um and there's a lot to be said about it. I thought that the twist was kind of weird, and it ended really abruptly. But like a like a good horror story, um, that's that actually worked really well for this. At the end, it's spooky, um, and you kind of it's it's got this ominous ending, and I really I really enjoyed that. The art by Kevin Warren was top notch. I think his line work was is absolutely phenomenal. Um, this is a really cool little just story. So if you've got a buck and you want to try something that you maybe wouldn't have seen otherwise, jump on Comixology and grab this book. It's called Sacrifice. Um, otherwise, yeah, I read Punisher number 17. This is the last issue by Becky Cloonan and Matt Horak. Uh, this is a fantastic ending to an amazing run. 17 issues of solid Punisher action with a one big story arc and a few little one-shot Punisher issues in the middle where Punisher's just killing bad guys. And that's... That is so satisfying sometimes. You just need to see a dude who's hard on justice and hard on killing, killing people who deserve it. It feels really good, um, despite the moral quandary that they may bring up um, You know, as we read other superhero books. The Punisher, they did some really solid work in this book, and I really enjoyed it. So, um, good show. I liked that the final panel and the final cover was Frank Castle walking out in a tux, as if to say goodbye to everyone in a very formal setting. So... It's such a solid book. I think this is going to be one of those nice hardcover, like, omnibuses or, like, you know, complete run stories books that you can put on your shelf and be happy to have. Um, plus, you've got Steve Dillon at the beginning, and I think Matt Horak did a great job transitioning into the new art style. Um, and Becky Cloonan is just a stellar writer. That's I don't know what else to say about that. Um, finally, I did read a book called Buzz but, uh, from Oni Press. The <laughs> This is by Ananth Pana. Panagaria, I want to say. I may be pronouncing that wrong, um, and I feel I'm, I apologize if I am. Uh, but then, with art by Tessa Stone, this book is basically a manga, but it's it's self-contained and it's like 200 pages, 
it's fucking beautiful. The art is so top notch. Like Tessa Stone, I I want to read every everything that she's ever drawn because holy shit, her art is amazing. The story of this book is that what if in this world spelling bees were like gladiatorial fights where every time every word you'd spell turned into a sword or a shield or a laser beam or it would allow you to fly and beat people up. It's so cool. <laughs> Such what? a cool concept. It. it Seriously, it, it, this book, is, it's called Buzz. Uh, the story's a little clunky. There's some weird panel work that where the dialogue bubbles kind of like ran around a little bit and I had to reread a page or two. But overall, this book was great. I loved it. I could not stop reading. I picked it up and could not stop. Um, I bought this at FlameCon earlier this year at Tessa Stone's booth because I thought the, the color work she did, which is this vibrant yellow on black and white, um, looked really, really good. And I was like, sure, this sounds really, really cool. And I fucking loved her art when i saw it and so yeah i read this from beginning to end in one go and it's so good such a fun fun book and such a goofy concept the end is it it just you know wraps itself up nice and nice and clean with a bow but man what a fun concept spelling bees as gladiatorial fights that's like the only way i can use i can think to describe it so um yeah go pick this up from oni press it's called buzz i can't say it enough i'm gonna sell the hell out of this um, one thing I didn't actually write down, just a quick mention, I read this, the first two chapters of an online webcomic called Barbarous, um, which you can read over at johnnywander.com. This is also by Ananth Panagiara, and yeah, his, I, I like this guy's work. I didn't realize that it was written by the same person until I'd finished Buzz, that holy shit, this is the same, this is the same person. Um, Barbarous is a, <laughs> is a really weird slice of life book, and I say weird in that, there's so many questions that I have. There's a world, it's a world with magic and people who have glamours and people who have magical powers and they live in this apartment building. Um, it's a really fun webcomic and the fact that you can go read it all for free, like a very, like a professional grade, top notch, something you could read over at Boom or Oni or Image, um, available online for free is really, really cool. So, um, go over to johnnywander.com and check out Barbarous. So, anyways, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about comics that are coming out this upcoming week. November first, comic books will be dropping. What are you guys excited for? Let's start with you, Renee. My Hero Academia. <laughs> that's it, dude. <laughs> no, no explanation. Just like that's what's happening. Like, Everyone well, should know what I'm, that is. <laughs> I'm conflicted because I know that Mike, you're reading it and you're behind. So, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. don't. I don't want to spoil anything, but um, uh, it's on like Donkey Kong, man. <laughs> it's so on. This arc, like the last couple arcs, have been really kind of slow, and like I feel like I felt like My Hero Academia had lost its its electricity or whatever. Despite the fact that it's still been selling really well, I just I, I haven't been that into it. And then, Renee, what is what is My Hero Academia for people who may not know? It's like Japanese X Men. Basically, yes. except that superheroes are accepted everywhere instead of hated. So, um, yeah. But, like, basically it follows um, a, young, a young kid who wants to be um, the world's greatest hero. And he actually, you know, meets the greatest hero. And he gets started to be mentored by him. And the world's fantastic. And all the powers are great. And it's amazing. The art's fantastic. The whole thing, all of it is great. If you're not reading My Hero Academia... Get your life together. 
Yeah, it's it's easily one of one of the best manga I've read um, ever. And I not to say I haven't read a lot, but I I would say that I've read some good and bad shonen um, manga, and I think this is some of the best shonen manga that's available right now. Yeah, and, and like I said, it, it has it felt a little bit slow for the last couple chapters. Um, that is up until about maybe five chapters ago, something like that. So like the last month has been really, really. It's been an emotional train wreck, really, the past five uh, chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's they're, they're, I will say this they're fighting against the Yakuza and their captains that are called the Eight Precepts and that's not giving anything away but, yeah sure uh, wait the Yakuza all, are real? <laughs> in this in this manga they are I oh. mean the, the Yakuza are definitely real yes, it's like the that's mob the and joke. the mafia yeah, are real yeah, yeah just like the triad is real yes Yakuza okay. listeners, thank you for listening. I'm just going to ignore Nick. You. I'm just, I'm just going to start <laughs> muting you because, like, I, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> they're fighting against the Yakuza and their captains, a fictional version of them. And, you know, all you see all these new characters fighting and using their powers, and it's all really cool. But now it's our main character's time to shine, and it's, it's amazing, and I can't wait to see what happens this week. So, My Hero Academia. Hell yeah. Nick, what are you excited for this upcoming week? Uh, first off, I want to say I think Renee needs to get his own little like manga like uh, like manga corner sort of segment. We'll call it Shonen Tell. <laughs> um, <laughs> well done. So, well done, uh, my friend. <laughs> now that Renee's dead... Um, uh yeah, so not much to say here. Alien Aliens Dead Orbit number four. It's supposed to come out this Tuesday. It might not. For those unaware, we got issue three all the way back in July. We've been waiting for this issue ever since. Uh they say you can't rush quality, but I'm beginning to wonder if maybe we can at least just give it a little swift kick in the boots. The booty. Um but you know it's James Stoko. All you need to know is it's it's a beautiful book. If you haven't seen any of his other work, go check it out. It's only four issues. Um, get the trade when that rolls out. Uh, I think that's slated for March at this point. Uh, yeah. But if you like beautiful work, if you like um, just super meticulous, unbelievably detailed art, this is it. If you like Aliens, this is perfect. Uh, I can't recommend this book enough. Um, Dark Horse has really done a great job with this franchise. Uh, and it needs to be acknowledged. So that's pretty much it. Aliens.org yeah, number four. I'm, I was going to pick this book, um, but I wanted to give you your choice. because You want to make me look like a fool a when book. it gets delayed again. <laughs> I think this has been my <laughs> yeah. pick two other weeks, and it hasn't it hasn't come out. So, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I am become the new Tia, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, for me this week, I'm excited for Iceman number seven. I almost said X-Men. This is an X-Men book. Uh, Cena Grace and Robert Gill on art. The old X or the old Champions group, which consists of like Hercules and Namor. I don't. I don't even know. This is this weird group. Ghost Rider, I think, is in this group. That and sounds right. Someone. It's really bizarre. It's the old gang is back together, and they're fighting crime and bobby drake he doesn't know what to do because this is the last thing that he needed in his life like he's still trying to figure out how to be this person that he now discovered that he is 
Um, and I think that adding this this huge level of conflict on top of the story uh, has been really good for Cena Grace in t- to tie into this whole Marvel legacy stuff that's happening. This is this is a really fun way to make that actually work, unlike some of the other X Men books, which is a dumb crossover event with Mojo that I'm eating up the same way that you would eat a bag of cotton candy. You know that it's going to be bad for you, but you can't stop because there's still stuff in the bag. So Iceman is actually a nice potato to go along with the steak that is Generation X if I had to put it all on the table. Um, so that's that's the way, and we're not going to talk about Weapon X because that's um, in the trash because I decided that the rice didn't cook well and I didn't want to eat it. Um that's <laughs> we're just rolling. What with else this. can we say? I'm I get an X Men corner as well. <laughs> so that's what I'm excited for this upcoming week. Um, I I really love what Cena Grace is doing with this book. It's like between this and Jean Grey, we've got some good solo X Men books for the first time in a long time, and I really appreciate that. Our show this week is a Goodreads Pick of the Month, where the podcast team picks a book that we want to read, and we discuss it here on the show. So, this month, we've decided to go with Batman the Long Halloween, seeing that Halloween is this upcoming Tuesday, the day before this episode drops, so it's extra spooky or something. We decided to read this book to to not only take everyone's love of Batman, but also a love for very solid 13-issue book, uh, graphic novel, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, and discuss all the various pieces and parts of this book. So before we get started, I want to warn everyone, spoilers for all of Batman The Long Halloween. If you have not read that, stop listening to this podcast, go read the book, and come back and press play. But So let's get started. I guess there's a lot to, to unpack with this book. This is a story by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. It's one of the most, in my head, iconic Batman stories in recent history. Um, the one thing that I will say, everyone smokes in this fucking book, and that <laughs> blew my mind that like everyone's just like pulling a cigarette like out of their ear, out of their back pocket, and just like, yeah, we're lighting up in the middle of this tiny closet that we're hanging out in. I'm in jail, and I'm smoking a cigarette. Like, what? whatever. I don't know. Crazy stuff. Um, there's a lot of stylized art, but I guess I'll let's start with you, Renee. What are your thoughts on this book? I know, I think the three of us had maybe read it once or twice or three times before, but we decided to take an in-depth look at it. What did you think of it of this book this time around? Um, I actually, I really love this book. Um, I love Jeff Loeb as a writer, both uh, his comics and the films that he's written. Um, and also, I've actually met Jeff Loeb once, and uh, it was seriously one of the best moments of my life. Um but yeah. I love Jeff Loeb as a writer, and I th- and Tim Sale's art um, sells this story on every level, and I'm not even joking. Literally every single level, and uh, it's fantastic. I think Batman: The Long Halloween is probably the is like Jeff Loeb's detective novel because it reminds me of a, of a very classic detective novel, and it's got everything. It's got all the tropes in it, and it's also fantastically realistic and also surreal at the same moment and right i think also just it's the right kind of creepy and i I guess i wouldn't say spooky but i also find myself you know just sort of scared while reading it i think but it's not like i'm scared for my life but i'm i'm thrilled at the at, at being terrified about. Yeah, it's a really t- tense, like intense book. Like it's 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 a full suspense thriller 
all throughout with the big question mark of who done it. So I guess before we, you know, dive into the various aspects of it, can we get like a summary of what this book actually is? Maybe Nick, you want to jump in here? Uh, sure. Yeah. So this book surrounds a series of killings that start happening in Gotham, and they tend to happen once a month, and they tend to happen on certain holidays. And of course, as the book is called, it begins on Halloween. And, well, who's being killed? Well, interestingly enough, all of the people that seem to be killed are all members of Carmine Falcone's gang. His his mob. This is the mob boss. Um, I think he was featured prominently in Batman Year One uh, by Frank Miller. Mm -hmm. And this book is frequently seen as a follow-up to Year One uh, because Archie Goodwin went to Frank and said, do you want to do anything more with this? And Frank said, no, man. I've got other things that I, I need to, to ruin. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> let me be honest. Thank I, thank God he was too busy or didn't want to do it because I do not, I shouldn't say I do not think, I, I know we would have not gotten the same book in Frank's hands. Um, sure. So you have these, these murders that are happening month after month, and um, Commissioner James Gordon, uh, District Attorney Harvey Dent, and Batman Resolve... Um, that they're going to kill this kill. They're going to find and you know deal with this person who's now just simply being known as Holiday, uh, and of course that involves trying to figure out who Holiday is. And a lot of the story really revolves around Harvey Dent before he becomes Two Face. I know it's hard for people to believe, but roughly 20 years ago when this story was told, as far as I understand things, there weren't a lot of stories of pre-Two-Face Harvey Dent, which is what a lot of this story was meant to tell. Uh, and at the beginning of the book, you see Harvey more or less saying, well, you've got these mob people, and they're all being killed, and so what's the problem? It's sort of working itself out. And of course, Batman and Gordon are like, well, this is still murders gripping our city. Like, you know, I, yeah. I see your end. Yeah. I see your end justifies the means, you know, um, mentality, but that's not great. Uh, and so each issue of this arc, um, you know, captures a different month and, and a different killing, uh, or maybe not. Things get interesting there as yeah, Batman the, yeah. and the group attempt to figure out uh, who done it. Uh, and it's a real, real mystery of a tale for sure. But that—that's basically it. Serial killer named Holiday, killing roughly one person a month. All of Falcone's people. It's a mystery. I think. Right. It's, I think it's also right. worth mentioning that Gordon is not commissioner yet, but he's a captain. Oh yes, right. I'm sorry. That's right. This this is earlier. I forgot because this follows year one. Like Batman, I believe they said this is maybe like two years into Bruce being Batman. Give or take, I think they said two or three, which is interesting because you do get a Bruce Wayne and a Batman that's a little less self-confident, a little more prone to make mistakes, which I like. He's not the like sentient, you know, omniscient um, Batman that you sometimes get these days, where it's like I know everything, I can do everything, I figured out everything, I'm like twelve steps ahead of you. Like that's not the Batman you get here, and I like that. You know, he doesn't have that confidence yet. And that's right. why you have all those yeah. things where he's saying, you know, I believe in Harvey Dent, or do I believe in Harvey Dent? Um, so yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I actually I love the first time that they say that in the book because it's like they show the three different perspectives of Batman, Gordon, and and Dent, and I think, like, uh, Gordon's like, I believe in Batman, and Batman's like, I might believe in... I don't even remember what he said. I don't think he picks a specific person, but someone else is like, I believe in Harvey Dent. 
But I just thought, thought it was cool to see the three of them go through that same sort of what they believe in type thing. Yeah, it, this is like a... I like the moment with the three of them where they they make this pact that they're going to catch this person. And Gordon kind of leads the conversation in to Harvey Dent saying, um, so we have this guy, and then Batman shows up. And Dent almost isn't okay with him, I think, because he's outside of the law, even though Dent has this very black and white mentality, which obviously leads to the Two-Face thing. Um, But together, they decide this is what's going to happen. And you see the three of them consistently come together and you watch their relationships change based on how things progress throughout the book as the holiday killer begins to kill more and more and the suspect list gets narrowed down further and further um i really liked how at the end when it's just batman and gordon and they're talking and gordon says i think nick you pointed this out in your notes you know batman says or gordon says to batman how long did you know and Batman says, it, like, he goes silent. Like, he's, like, a long time. He knew that Harvey Dent was the killer. I mean, and there's a lot more to unpack about who was actually the, the killer in this. Mm-hmm. But that that the fact that when the tides turn and then Batman and, and Gordon come back to this place that has been a common element throughout the book, I thought was really, really powerful to say, as soon as you're out of the club, you're way out of the club with these guys. Um, I really like that. I don't know. It just it was a really cool image, like a consistent thing as I as you read this in one long go, like I did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I I don't mean to like rush to the end of this book here. Um, there there were a lot of things that were really good about this book and things that were really powerful. So I don't know, Nick, did you or let's cut back to you, Renee? Like, were there things that you were just like, hell yeah, this is kicking a lot of butt? Like, what really sold you on this story? I, I, so many things. But the things that really (laughs) stick out to me are actually have nothing to do with the mystery. Although the mystery is absolutely fantastic. But I love the scene during Christmas when Joker is quoting the Grinch. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because, I I mean, I love love that moment. And just there's another moment. I think it's earlier in the story when Joker's beating up Harvey Dent. Um, Or maybe it's later. I think it's later. And Dent starts fighting him. And he's like, oh, you're good, but you're no Batman. I just think because it shows that you know the Joker isn't just this insane person that's doing things willy willy like willy nilly. That he, while he is a person of chaos, he's also very meticulous and he knows so many things. And also, just it's so creepy for him to be like turning this thing that you love that you watch every year into oh my god, there's an intruder in my house who's going to kill me. Right. Yeah, the Joker moments in this book I thought were really great. <clears throat> I mean, he got he got that moment of there can't be two ho- crazy homicidal maniacs in this city, and so even the Joker is trying to find Holiday yeah. just because he can't jo- jo- stand Joker's it. Joker's having a real like identity crisis as as the story goes on, uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and and Tim Tim Sale's Joker is so instantly identifiable. It's he's totally. like he's he's like contorted and like he's got like sort of a contortionist frame, and he's bow legged all the time, and of course his teeth are just sixteen these- million teeth six yeah these weird super angled like uh, it's 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 definitely a very definitive appearance and i like that joker you know he's in this but he's not an overwhelming presence and and like we said like he's he's basically petty and insecure for most of this (laughs) this whole thing like he's trying to figure it out too because like he he wants his place in the sun once more so um and of course you do get you know every other 
villain under the sun as well. I think some some certainly uh, have a, a larger place than others. I, I thought it was interesting that we we returned to Calendar Man more than a couple times. And and for those who are unaware, I think we saw him in Tom King's Rebirth one shot that um, yeah. sort of kicked yeah. off um, the Rebirth run. Uh, which 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 was an interesting character as well. Uh, for those who aren't aware, uh, Calendar Man slash Julian Day is is one of the inmates at Arkham Asylum, and uh, he is absolutely fixated and obsessed with with dates and holidays. And you know, if you're you know born here, then you're a Gemini. So he's obsessed with all the astrology stuff too. Um, yeah, that, I mean, what a, not, not, what a genius move on the part of the, the writers and whoever created Harvey Dent or whatever, whoever gave Harvey Dent his birthday to make him a Gemini. Yep. Like, what a subtle little thing to add to his character about being of two minds or being, you know, two souls in one. What a smart idea. I, I, I do oh want to ask, and not to take things off the course too much, but do either of you genuinely believe that Julian Day actually had any insight into any of this, or do you think that was just a full-scale bluff when he when he continues to tell everybody who shows up? You know, he tells Batman a couple times, "If you let me out, I actually I think we can I think we can put this to bed." Um, do, do either of you believe he? I actually... thought he. Yeah, I thought he was bluffing the yeah, whole time. I think same. the moment he brings up the idea that he's no longer relevant because Holiday is doing a better job than him. I think that's when he started to really push on the, hey, if you let me out of here, I can help you. Like, he wanted to be relevant again. He didn't want to be this forgotten, you know, rogues gallery character that just gets, that stays in Arkham and is no longer useful. I think he really was feeling the pressure of being bumped out of his slot. Um, and I feel like that's that's a really fun element to play with, I think, as a writer. Uh, it must be really fun, I should say, because to to play with this idea that these rogues gallery characters, they know they have a niche, they know they're this thing, and if anybody tries to challenge them on that, they take them out. Like, we've got the Joker being insecure, we've got the Riddler uncertain of himself being able to predict whether and, like, figure this riddle out. We've got Calendar Man who's insecure about being bumped off of his big pedestal. Um, it, and it goes even further, like Catwoman trying to figure things out and not being sure, and the whole Catwoman, Batwoman thing is, or Batman thing is a whole different part of the story, but I think all of these rogues characters have this problem, um, with the exception of maybe Solomon Grundy, who just wanted a Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> yeah, 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 he's, he's relatively unfazed by the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But See, yeah, I, you, you... I, I have to disagree with Mike, actually, uh, about Calendar Man. Because also, first of all, the Calendar Man parts are my favorite in this entire book. So I'm really glad that you brought this up, Nick. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, I think Calendar Man actually did know it. Because in, I think even starting in the first conversation, he refers to the holiday killer as both he and she in the way that he talks Oh, yeah. It. I mean, he, oh, he continually oh, does up, that. <laughs> he does. Um, but, uh, but, but also, like, I think everyone a, a points out all it. the time it could be a woman. So... Uh. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. think there there is still a part of it though that uh, like what Mike said, where he, um, you know, does he he is like you know uh, he's taking my shtick, you know, <laughs> screw that guy. But I think there's more to it than that. I think. Calendar Man really did know more than Batman, and he sort of seemed like the omniscient one at the time because he was like, I definitely know, but let me out of here. But at the same time, he was pressing so hard, specifically on Mother's Day. And Batman's like, everyone's got a mother, even you. And he's like, yeah, let me out. And to the point where it's like too much. Like, I think that he 
had other things that he wanted to do. But I think that that Calendar Man really did have, like, he's one of those villains that has that genius that, you know, kind of is on When it on comes par. to dates. Yeah, it's on, it's on, it's <laughs> yeah, on par with say. Batman. Because despite the fact that, you know, this is the holiday killer and it has to do with dates, he deduced that there was more than one killer and that it was both male and female. Yeah, it, that's with, true. With very little information. And, you know, despite the fact that he's got an odd shtick, you know, he's not condiment man, though. But, I mean, despite, <laughs> despite the fact that he's, he's no so kite weird, man. he is still a brilliant man. And I would actually really love to see more people play with Calendar Man, especially since he's so damn creepy. Right. Like, I, right I'm so unsettled whenever Calendar Man shows up. and But I also really like that in the Batman story. Yeah. Nick, what did you think? Did you think that there was some insight? It sounded like you said you were you agreed with me. Um, yeah, I, I, I think for me, I, I felt like Calendar Man was just simply messing with um, Batman. You know, he says he uses, you know, both he and she, but also at that point, you've seen several of the characters in the story go back and forth on the idea that, well, it, it, it could be a woman if you look at the sort of gun that was used and... Um, um, the access to the you know makeshift silencers and everything like this this could be the work of a woman as well so um i just loved some of those pages with calendar man where it's you just look into his room and it's this huge mess of just white sheets just like piling up and piling up and there's this one yeah. page where batman is walking away from calendar man and on the front on the top half of the page it's just all of this white and all these white sheets and on the bottom half it's batman walking away and it's like the these massive like almost like unrealistic tendrils of his cape just pulling away from that half of the page <laughs> yeah. and like that whole bottom half is just covered in black and it was like this really interesting sort of dichotomy um but yeah it's one of my no, favorite I, uh, pages oh it's it's so <laughs> yeah. good it's there are so many fantastic pages in this book um and and i i do want to say yes i'm sure there are some comic book readers out there that want to give this book a try um and they look at the art and it's not like, it's not even like, oh, that's so 1997 art, because it really doesn't even fit that description of it's just, you know, it's art from the era and it's just inescapable. But it is it is hyper-stylized, um, and I know that there are some very bold design choices in terms of character design for a lot of the different characters that I know some people are probably going to find unsettling, just but, but you know, stick with it and, and, and know that you're in the wrong because this is great art and... Uh, you know, just deal with it. Um, it's 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 so amazing, honestly. Uh, I don't know why we don't get more Tim Sale, but uh, for those who are wondering, he does do the variant covers for Batman right now for the current mm -hmm. Rebirth run. If you get the variant covers, those are all Tim Sale. So if that's a selling point for you, great. If not, you know, whatever. I think we should um, also give mad props to Gregory Wright for the coloring in this book. Oh yeah, because oh, yeah, oh yeah. my god, as as much as Tim Sale does with the art. Gregory Wright really does that final touch with the coloring, especially oh, going from yeah. black and white to then hyper-stylized color and then just the way that he uses the shadows and the lights and based on the room and where they are and just based on the moments, like all the murders, are, I think, are in black and white and then you go back I was, to color. Yeah. 
I was going to say one of the yeah, boldest choices of this book is when it relies on knowing not to use color or to use gradients or to use like grays, blacks, and whites for a lot of the different scenes. I, I was always impressed with just like, you know, we know we want to strip it down here, especially for the pages where they would just desaturate the page except for like one little object on the page. Um, yeah. Like this team's understanding of light in shadow is like unparalleled honestly that's one of the best things i observed with this book like that final page during the epilogue with gilda where she's revealing what she knows that's harvey dent's wife um and you see um like she's in the basement right she's in the basement of the house yeah and you see from the upstairs if you see from the upstairs the door to upstairs has been opened and it's painting this light as it goes through like the like the 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 panes onto her face and like this really contorted like misshapen pattern and uh oof that was probably the most chilling page of the book uh for me yeah they, they did some really beautiful things with fire i think firelight yes. in this book specifically at the dense house where they have the fireplace there were some scenes that were just really powerful um and specifically at the end as well as things are getting burned and and stuff i thought that the, the, the way they did the light from fire was just un, unparalleled i don't think i've seen anything that was that like harsh and and stark before or um, like the boat scene where you think Alberto has killed himself and the whole page is desaturated, I think, except for just this little like wave of blood in the water off the side of the yeah. boat. And that's like the, yeah. that's like the only thing you see. Um, the, yeah, the, absolutely the use of color and not just like having a, a broad palette and knowing you know what fits what, but this book's knowing when to not use color, I think is one of its like great understated talents, honestly. Yeah, thanks for um, bringing that up, Renee. I, I forgot to write it down in the credits. That's totally my, my bad. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I mean, I, I love just the, the differences of the color, like especially like how we were talking about with um, you know the end of the book and then also the high power charge, but even just the courtroom scene where mm-hmm. death becomes two-faced, the fact that everything is colorized, everything's blown out so that it looks like you're in a, a daytime court session, you know, and then immediately jumps back into a different style, I think it's, I can't, it's beyond words. I can't even talk. <laughs> well, you're talking about the courtroom scene. Can, uh, we, can we discuss the, the irony of being um, having acid thrown on you from a, an antacid, you know, antacid uh, bottle? I'm sure yes. you guys caught that. But <laughs> I, did, I didn't even I caught think of that. that. I caught that, and I was like, oh, my, yes, I love it. I yeah. love it, and I also love so that ex- it's gangsters. Explain the scene really quickly it. here. Explain the oh, scene sure. really quick here. So, um, gosh, you've got, you've got one mob boss, not the main one, but his name's Maroney. Maroney. And he's going to basically go on trial and bury um, uh, the Roman, a.k.a. Carmine Falcone. He's going to go on trial, he's going to testify, and they're going to put him, put Carmine away for good. And uh, as Maroney is going to trial, uh, he meets up with his uh, buddy, who basically also is a, um, a rat um, who works inside the, the um, district attorney's office, but who cares? And that guy hands him a bottle, um, which is presumed to be antacid because Maroney is constantly talking at least a couple times about how he has ulcer problems and stomach problems, uh, which was smart because it really misdirects this scene pretty well, actually. Um, and uh, he goes up and, and Harvey Dent, in, you know, uh, interrogates him and, and just discusses things with him. And I don't remember what exactly 
sets him off. I don't know if you guys remember, but at that point, um, uh, Maroney opens up this bottle and, and oh, oh, that's right. He oh, says, he you know, I'm coffee. sorry. My, yeah, you know, I, my stomach or whatever is acting up. And he goes to, to take a sip from the bottle um, and, you know, processes it for a bit and then splashes it in, in Dent's face from the antacid bottle. And, of course, it's acid. Really, really well-played scene. Um, I honestly didn't remember it happening that soon or remembering that way, remembering it happening that way originally when I read the book. So Yeah. Um, there, was, there was a lot of moments like that where I didn't remember the book the way that it happened. Like, I, I don't think I read this book since I originally bought it way back in 2007, maybe. Yeah, it's been a few um, years so, yeah. so, yeah, it's it's been a while, and having read it now, I'm, I have a deeper appreciation for knowing more about Batman, right? Um, and I think this is a good entry book for people that are trying to read cool Batman stories, but I also think if you know a lot about this this world and the mythos behind the character, this book totally works. And it, it kicks so much ass because of all the little bits and pieces on top of the rogues gallery and you get like all this background information. Um, but I, I think like the, the, I guess the final, one of the final questions I have, you know, what did you guys think of the ending? What did you think of like the round off where we found, find out what actually happened the, we get the mystery unraveled and the whodunit happens. We kind of touched on it earlier, but, um, the big, the big, you know, reveal is that there were what three killers in total, right? Three. The, like yes. there were three people doing this. It was um, uh, the first guy who was part of the mob. Whose name I can't remember. He was the son of Falcone. Alberto. Um, yeah, uh, was Alberto, he, the, he? Yeah, he was the son. Yeah, sorry. That's the other, yeah. the guy who so, dies first is the nephew. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So he was the good son that wanted you know this to get in the father's business, but his father was like, no, 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 you go do non-mob things because, <laughs> you know, you're a clean, innocent kid. Oh, yeah, where have I heard that before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the, you know, and then the as he, after he dies, the continuation is done by Harvey Dent's wife, we find out. No, you actually got it seen... flipped. You actually got it flipped. Gilda was first. Oh, I got first. it flipped. Uh, Gilda right? Was, okay, hold on. Gilda Nick, was first. explain this then. Maybe I tracked it wrong. Gilda, um, gosh, it was Gilda up through, I want to say Christmas. It was Gilda up through Christmas. Then it was Alberto after he was dead, because that's the perfect foil, um, after he was seemingly dead. It was Alberto from there on until when Harvey Dent actually kills Carmine Falcone on the second Halloween, uh, thus making him the final Halloween, um, making him the final holiday. Uh, I can't wait to be wrong, but I think that's what it was. Yeah, it's definitely, um, yeah. It's definitely <laughs> Gilda first, because Gilda mentions that she realizes that uh, Dent did a murder, and she's like, oh, we came to the same conclusion. Right, she says oh, you right, came in right. with your hair, your hair was wet and everything, and I assumed that you had um, picked up the mantle at that point, which of course was hilarious, because <laughs> she was wrong. Um, right. You know, it, he, he wasn't doing it at all. So, um, yeah. So what did you guys think of it? I mean, like I, I found it and even in explaining it, it as a little convoluted, um, to try to make the mystery work, but to think that this is all one person maybe is a little more insane, even for a, a comic book like this, um, without there being any sort of like real, like, I don't know, there was no MO, there was no yeah. thing that was, that was inconsistent that could have proved that it was multiple people. Sure. And yet 
it was multiple people, and they had the same mo. They left the smoking gun and a an item representing and, the holiday. And furthermore, none of scene. them were working in collusion, and I think that's what makes it so interesting. Is that seemingly, um, you know, first off, like like you said, it's not just one person; it's multiple, and these people aren't even working together. It's basically copycat crimes. Basically, that's that's what holiday is. Is it's 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 a it's a copycat act more or less. Um, yeah, and and I like that it's it's smart. It's very unapologetically um, like guess what? Like you need to pay attention. You really need to pay attention reading this book. We are not going to spell things out for you except sort of at the end. <laughs> so if you really haven't been paying attention, right. we'll we'll try right. to I apparently we'll try wasn't. to save face. But um, no, it's 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 smart and uh, it's definitely not. Um, dumbed down like like you see in some Batman stories where like is there a detective element yes is it really you know is it anything more than a simple like googling you know not really um, see what I so. what I found really interesting was that even at the end you know <clears throat> Batman and Gordon they both kind of come to the conclusion that it's Harvey Dent and and Gordon asked Batman which is what I was touching on earlier how long did you know um, and Batman apparently had had this suspicion for a long time, even though it was wrong. The, yeah. the idea that Harvey was doing it the entire time, not, maybe not the entire time, but for most of the time, was something that he just assumed when it turns out that it was his wife followed by um, Antonio. So, oh, like, Alberta. I thought that was interesting and that the only damning thing for Harvey was that he killed Falcone at the end. R- right. Yeah. No, I, I think that, I mean, first off, yeah, that page is just amazing because you have Gordon just furious and he says, how long did you know? And you just have these th- three just final panels following that one where Batman sort of just stares at him. And then the next one, he just looks away. And then Gordon basically like repeats the question, I think. And yeah, it's it's, it's fascinating because uh, you're right, by and large, um, up until that point, um Harvey really hasn't done anything wrong. I think I'm trying to reflect back. Well, I mean, because obviously had, there's the some... thing is that you after that panel, or I believe it's either right before or right after, we kind of get this reflection back on Harvey and all of these seemingly strange things that he had said or done, mm-hmm. like bringing the gun home. Oh yeah, like, I bring evidence home you know, all the saying, time. It's you know, normal. <laughs> yeah, and he says, you know, the person that got shot was, you know, those were a bunch of nice people. Like, there's no sarcastic mark or italicize. He just says it, and it's interpreted by Batman as, like, Harvey, that's a shitty thing to say. Yeah. Like, <laughs> which I, I thought was funny. But, like, there are these all these moments where you kind of see Harvey saying, well, maybe that type of justice isn't wrong. And Batman and Gordon going, that, no, Harvey, it fucking, it's wrong, dude. What are you thinking? Um, and so they, they, they reflect back on that. But at the end, in the big reveal, you're kind of like, oh, maybe Harvey would just had this mentality. He was rooting for this person, but he didn't actually want to commit it until everything was taken away from him, mm-hmm. um, which was his face and his mentality or sanity, I guess. I really love that scene, and it really threw me for a loop towards the end, because I couldn't figure out why, when you realize that Harvey has gone after he has escaped, and you have basically the arrested development scene of them at the hospital, and they're like, what happened to Harvey, as his wife says, and then the doctor goes, he's gone, you know, remember remember that from Arrested Development, where, oh, yeah. you know, oh, no, yeah. no, literally, he's gone, um, and if he, he stabs a surgeon, which, like, rude, um, and uh, it disappears. <laughs> Uh, it's so we- it's so weird, honestly, because like I don't ever remember them being. I thought it was in other Two Face stories, like well, we tried to fix his face, but I mean, 
what's the medical term for this? It's hardcore fucked up. Um, like, there's nothing we can do. I don't remember it being, <laughs> right. like, Harvey, like, they're in the middle of trying to fix him, and he's like, I'm out. Like, peace. Um, mm-hmm. So that was kind of odd. But you have Harvey, and he goes to Arkham Asylum, and he lets everyone out, except for Calendar right. Man. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm like, yeah. why 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 are we doing this? Like, what's the point? And he's basically showing Batman like this is what's going to happen. Like every time, and he says that like every time you send these people back, this is what's going to happen every time. Like this is this is how your system works. This is your like idea of fixing things. And as you can see, because I let them out, you know, it doesn't fix anything. It just uh, it's 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 very interesting to see Harvey kind of casting you know as you see in other comics um you know a real questioning of batman's methodology and and does this work or does it not work um right so renee what did you think about this whole thing really nick and i have just kind of been talking back and forth so i'm sorry about that Uh, that's fine um the thing that made me think of actually the ending was it uh and spoilers here for this movie that's coming out it reminded me a lot of mystery on the orient express because i don't know if you guys have read that at all i haven't Okay, well, sorry to ruin this for you, but at the end of the novel... Um, sorry Mag to ruin this like, 80-year-old book for you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry, but yeah, it's, yeah. Also, it's a classic story. And, uh, you know, uh, but the, the, uh, at the end of the book, it's revealed that everyone that is a suspect in some way had something to deal with the murder, so they're technically all the murderers. Um, oh, okay. Because they all had some reason to kill the person, and they were all with him, and they all did something to him that eventually caused his death. So it, it while it's not exactly the same, it reminded me that there was more than one killer, and more than, and it's sort of like you know you're not entirely sure who killed who or why, and it sort of just left up in the air of the sort of right and wrong. And mm-hmm. uh, I think Hercule Poirot, the detective for um, uh, Mystery on the Orient Express, he says you know. I've, I'm satisfied with what I've done in the mystery, so it's up to you to decide what happens now. And I sort of, it's sort of like, it leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. You're kind of sad because you didn't solve it. You solved it, but you didn't solve it. And I think that same feeling is in, at the end of this book, and because it's, it's also just basically, it's a tragedy of what yeah. happens when you have too strong of a, of a moral compass like Harvey Dent, or you see things in black and white and, you know, Gilda just wanted more time with her husband and Alberto just right. wanted the love of his father. And I think that it's important to show that when uh, Carmine thought Alberto was dead and he was just all by himself by the body that he thought was his son, that he breaks down and there's no words, mm-hmm. you know, and all the car, all of Carmine's kids just want his respect. And, uh, and you know, in the end, None of them really get what they want. And so there's just a whole lot of bitterness in your mouth, but at the same time, it's told in such a way that you'll remember it for forever, you know? And, like, yep. it's so awkward when Fel, um, when Alberto's in jail, and he's like, yeah, I did all of them, and that was all me, and, like, he's, like, trying real hard to be a super, you know, tough guy, and it's like, I'm not buying it, you know, maybe a few of them, <laughs> yeah. but, like, it's so sad, because you can see, like, that's him relishing what he thinks is, like, his new identity now, like, that's gonna be what finally, 
gets him respect and everything. So, uh, you know, like most stories, it turns into a psychology of, of daddy issues. So, I mean, what do you want? Um, it's yeah. Batman. And I mean, you know, it, his... And that also goes for, uh, you know, Falcone's other, daughter, who we... I don't think we've mentioned much in the episode, because her character seems like she like she was injected into the story to add another layer of who done it, you know? And ultimately, at the end... I think at the end of the day, it wasn't, like, a huge like thing for her to be in the story like she ended up being just another muscle so i mean and there, there's some other elements i think we could have touched i mean we could probably could touch on but we are we are running super long so um let's i let's wrap this up i guess final thoughts on this book what did you guys think yeah i i, I think this is an absolute must for anyone who um feels the need and again like i'm not i'm not trying to gatekeep here so this is optional if you feel that you're one of those people that wants to read truly big instrumental batman quote-unquote classic stories um i think this Mm -hmm. really belongs on that list i think for most people this needs to be in the top 10 um for new readers i actually think it's pretty new reader friendly uh, you do get to meet most of the members of the rogues gallery um, for people that their large scale introduction to Batman is through the Christopher Nolan films. Obviously, this is um, a great uh, connection to that yeah. because clearly oh, I didn't even bring the, the rise so and fall Nolan. of Harvey Dent. Yeah, I mean, uh, Nolan even said you know, his his movie, The Dark Knight, is very clearly based off of um, The Long Halloween because it really is this Harvey Dent centric story. Um so I, I think it's 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 a good read for new readers, um, those who are really drawn to unique or powerful or interesting art. Um, I think there's something here for them. Uh, for those who are looking for creative redesigns and, and new takes on, on, on the Batman characters and, and the villains, um, I think there's something here for them. Uh, for those who just want a really good mystery, uh, there's something there too. So it really offers up a lot um, and for pretty much everyone, there's something here that they're going to um, really be able to enjoy, I would say. Cool. Renee, what'd you think? Um, I, I love this book. Um, I recommend it to um, pretty much anyone I know that has any interest in comics. And um, like I said, I think that this is Jeff Loeb's detective novel. I think that it stands alone as just a great mystery story. If you love detective stories, you absolutely need to read this. And even if you're not a fan of Batman, because it's grounded in this idea, this this um, world of realism by having it surround the the mob, the local mob, and it it even has mm-hmm. a lot of throwbacks to The Godfather and has direct um, imitations of scenes from it. Uh, and I think that mm-hmm. if you like that kind of thing, you'll enjoy this because it has that it has a perfect blend of realism and surrealism in that these things could happen if there was a vigilante trying to take down like you know the mob, but at the same time, there's also poison ivy and uh scarecrow and you know calendar man, <laughs> yeah, so I think it it's a perfect blend of weird and and just and reality and i think that it's something that people will enjoy even if they don't think that they will and i think that it's just it's definitely it's it's also one of my favorite stories because it's a batman story that's kind of haunting it doesn't fill you with fear but it does fill you with all kinds of emotion that it's 
you're not going to forget for a while. And I think that that's something that's been missing in a lot of the recent Batman stories. Yeah, Solid. that's true. Yeah, I, when you're done, like you're like you feel like, well, the case was solved, but I feel terrible. Yeah, <laughs> and also <laughs> really, I feel, like, I feel yeah. like there's they the way that Batman's portrayed is he's pretty scary uh, a couple of times. Like even with the way that his cape is drawn with the tendrils, like Batman. When I was a kid, Batman scared the hell out of me, and like right. now I feel like you know only criminals in the story are scared of Batman. But at the same time, what's not scary about a six foot? man dresses a bat beating the shit out of you right yeah. right um my my final thoughts on this book are there there's so much to unpack i i think that it's it's unfortunate that we only have so much time to do this show about this pod about this specific book um because you know we didn't touch on a lot of different things and it's it's such a solid book it's it's a really it's a it's a page turner like it's one of those books that's really hard to put down um, I would dare you to try to read this book in multiple sittings. I think it's impossible because it's it's such a fast-paced book in a lot of ways. Like, the pacing changes per issue, but you're driven to keep going because you want to find out more about this whodunit story. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm in the same page or same boat as Renee. I would recommend this to anyone who wants to get into Batman books, who wants, like, a really solid rogues gallery book that isn't just, you know, oh, no, the Joker's on the loose. Instead, it's it's got the thrills of a detective story it's got the thrills of a batman story it's got everything that you would want in a solid detective comics story um and i i highly recommend it that's probably the least i could say about it um if anything but yeah this this is such a solid read um it's long and it's 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 a nice hefty book to carry around and it's it's totally totally fantastic so let's uh let's wrap this show up here um let's do a little bit of credits um where can people find you guys on the internet let's start with you renee they can find me on the twitter at rodrigo 29 um yeah if you ever want to talk to me about comics or manga feel free to do so yeah ping renee he knows everything there is to know about manga as far as i'm concerned i mean let's uh, not Nick, where, pe- where can people find you on the internet sure uh you can find me at death star plans on twitter yeah, it's all spelled out in the show notes. It's real fun. Um, you can find me on on Twitter at, at Mike Rappin. You can also find me on Medium at, at Mike Rappin, where I will start to write X Men articles. I promise someday, Renee. I owe you at least four at this point. Yeah, you do. Uh, <laughs> Finally, you can also follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where we retweet stuff and we post polls um, every Friday. And yeah, we try to try to talk about comic books as much as we can on that account. So send us a message, send us a tweet about what you did or didn't like about this episode, and I will get back to you with all sorts of gifts and funny things. I guess I'll try to be funny at least. <laughs> Well, if Twitter isn't your thing, or you find yourself uh, wanting more uh, exposure to us, go figure, uh, than Twitter, uh, you should go check out our Goodreads group. Um, in fact, it's the whole reason that this show exists in the first place. So our book club, um, we have uh, we have two book, book clubs currently running. Uh, we have the one where uh, the members of the podcast pick the book, uh, and then we also have one where all of the people at Goodreads vote on the book, and they pick a book, and that's discussed there as well. So if you want to get in on those discussions, um, you're more than welcome to. Uh, we also have places where you can talk about comic books and, and current TV and current movies. Um, you can talk about the books that you're reading or the things that you're interested in. Uh, we also... Um, have interviews, or not really interviews, but we have places where you can um, talk with actual comic book creators, the most recent being uh, with Matt Horak, the artist who 
just, um, what is that, Mike? He has, his last issue has yet to come out, is that correct? His last issue just came out, actually. Just came out, I'm sorry, just came out. Of the Punisher, so, um, we have a place for that. Other than that, um, feel free to check us out at ircbpodcast.com, a very useful resource if you want to see our weekly pull list document and see the books we're reading, uh, as well as just another way to get your hands on the podcast if that's how you choose to do it. We also have our pronunciation guide on our website for how to pronounce various comic book creators' names, and you know there are some tough ones out there, and we're trying to help people with that, so that's also there. Please rate, subscribe, and tell your friends about the podcast if you enjoy it. And also, don't forget to mention that we have a Kickstarter going, and we really appreciate everyone that has uh, contributed to that. And just thank you for your time for listening to us about that. Um, you can also yeah. email the show at ircb at destroythesive.org. Please reach out to us. We love talking to you. Seriously, I'm not just saying that. We actually enjoy talking to you. So, um, And also, Mike might be a little bit lonely, so feel free to talk to him anytime. Yeah, send me, send me emails that are just like, hey, winky face, and then we'll have a dialogue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Infinity Shred does all the music for our show. They're the absolute best of the nicest guys in the world. Go check out their music on Bandcamp or on their website, infinityshred.com. Xander, he's just a very nice person. He also edits the show, and um, I really I really like that guy a lot. I think you guys like him, too. Finally, uh, I want to say thank you to everyone for listening to the show. Thank you, Nick and Renee, for being on the show. This was an awesome discussion. I love talking about comic books with you guys. Just having a whole episode to do that like warms my heart to no end. So thank you so much for being here, and thank you, listeners, for everything you do, everything you, you know, talk about stuff with us online, favorite our tweets and retweet things and share everything. Thank you so much. So until next time, we will check you later. Yes, Nick, we absolutely did forget to go through some Goodreads comments, and I don't want to leave anybody out because otherwise, what's the point? Now, I I do like having conversations with people on the Goodreads group, but we do owe them the honor of being mentioned on the show. So let me start with a comment from Chris. He said he was captivated by the mystery surrounding Holiday. He's been a fan of comics and comic culture his whole life, so he's been accustomed to the tropes and cliches that oftentimes hinders a story. When I saw that the long Halloween was a mystery, I figured that it would I'd be able to crack the mystery fairly easily. For comics, in my in his experience, have not been the best at pulling off well-told mysteries, and I was not able to deduce who the who the character was before the end of the story. But in this case, I was highly impressed by how to, how the mystery unfolded. I won't say what happened, but it was well handled and quite surprising to me at least. We already spoiled it, so it's okay. Thank you for your comment, Chris. <laughs> um, I think you hold to the same feelings that we all do about this book, um, or at least that I did. Here's an interesting one from uh, Hansen. He writes, uh, As a longtime Batman fan, uh, this was always required reading from every source I encountered, and to be plainly honest, I avoided it for years because of a lack of appreciation for Tim Sale's art. Now that I am older, a comic book store clerk, and an artist, I've not only come to enjoy the art, but ended up defending Sale's art regularly. While it certainly is a uh, required taste, uh, the pairing of Loeb's story to uh, Sale's art is eerily perfect. Um... Yeah, I, I think Hanson's spot on. I think we've discussed this uh, a little bit earlier. I pointed out that I, I know there are people out there who um, either uh, just see the art and just won't even give the book a try, which is a real tragedy, um, or they mm-hmm. actually decide that they're going to get into the book and just still can't put up with it. And I think for some people, it, it just needs to grow on you a little bit. Um, it is like uh, an aesthetic that uh, as you see more of the world and just sort of this bigger 
um, just wholesale aesthetic that it is, I think it's a little bit easier to take on. Um, but it is it is drawing for some people, definitely. Yeah. Um, I have this interesting one by Daniel, um, who comments like, <laughs> I love this comment. He says, I cannot imagine having to read this month to month. I would have gone crazy. And I have to agree. I can't imagine what that would have been like. Uh, That's, this yeah, book that makes me want to yeah. cry. Like, <laughs> not... <laughs> We've we've talked before on the show about books that would be nearly impossible to read in singles, and yes, this one in singles would would break my brain, honestly. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it, also in his comment, he said, "I had no idea how much this inspired Nolan's um, The Dark Knight." Uh, I felt the exact same way. I didn't realize actually how much Christopher Nolan pulled out of this book into his movie. Um, seeing that I hadn't read it since I first bought it, and I didn't even make the connection then, I'm really blown away by how much um, The Dark Knight actually pulled out of this book. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. It's especially the the whole cash thing. I think is like the most memorable one. But there's so many other like little things that were taken. And I think it's great. Yeah. Um, I also love Daniel's final thought. Uh, he says this book is a great representation as to why Batman's Rogue Gallery is the best. Everyone serves a purpose <laughs> to drive the story forward, and I think that yeah. is the that is Daniel. I love your brain. Yes. <laughs> Um, okay, we'll do. Let's do one more quick comment. I just want to call this last one out because I'm very happy that it exists. Um, this is from Anthony. Uh, he did write "Okay to Air" at the end of his comment, so I didn't have a heart attack. But uh, he says, "This is the second time I've read the Long Halloween. Thanks to your podcaster's pick, I found a book that I was interested enough to, in to join a discussion. Great pick. This also gave me an excuse to buy the digital version of the book. This time around, I read the book the book virtually in one sitting. Um, it, now, this isn't about the book. I'm mostly just excited that we gave someone a reason to come out and comment on the Goodreads group. That's so fucking awesome to hear. So, Anthony, please come back. Please keep reading and commenting and stuff. We love." everybody thank you to kate anthony uh kate again daniel hansen chris um and kate scotches who's on the show as well for um commenting and posting in this goodreads group um sorry we didn't get to the comments in the middle of the discussion i was just very excited to get into it so um thank you everyone we will uh we'll check you next time Alright, we'll just we'll call it there then. Yeah, I was gonna say I think you could have called it with the X-Men corner. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I just I love cool. that you kept going with the food analogy. <laughs> Roll with it, baby. I it, That's it what I do. Yeah. First I was like, dude, do they sell bags of cotton candy? I don't know. Yeah, man, yeah. have you ever been yeah, to the, the carnival? Yeah. No. I went to swap meets and they had churros and like things there. Oh, okay. Well I mean churros. Same deal. Like, imagine you had nine churros. Do you need nine churros? No. Uh, are yes. you going to eat them all? Yes. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> I, actually had a, I actually had a churro for the first time in, like, years the other day, and it was excellent. <laughs> That's fantastic. I've, I, don't, I don't think I've ever had a churro before. I don't think I have Question either. Yeah. Missing out. Yeah. Missing out, bro. I know. Kelly, Kelly has just reminded me. They sell them on the subway. Yeah. I could get one. I, like, can get off the subway at some stops, and there would just be a person there selling churros that you can buy yeah. two for a dollar or yeah. something. Yeah, you should do that. You should do that. Or if you find the elote man, or if you see a man selling um, tamales, the- always grab them off the vendor carts. Always. Okay. Mong- I, mean, er, I mean, pay for them. But- Ma- mangoes are also really good if you buy them from the street <laughs> corner people. It's pretty great. <laughs>